Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. Uh, this week I'm coming to you pre-recorded, uh, so if there's something that's happening later on this week uh, that I missed, I will get to it next week. One of the developments in the United States is that the Republican Party in various states has been putting up fake mail-in ballot drop-off locations. Uh, now, the fact that they can do that is partly indicative of the fact that the United States has a really terrible election system, like the fact that there's a way to fake it because kind of nobody knows how it works and the rules change all the time and uh, most people aren't used to mail-in ba- mail ballots, mail-in voting because it's not the norm here. Um, in California, for example, the Republican Party put up these fake mail-in ballot drop-off locations, apparently in an effort to indicate how easy it would be to commit election fraud, which is just this is just what they're doing by setting up these fake ballot drop-off locations. Um, and judges are apparently, for some reason, giving them until later this week uh, to actually take them down. Um, I don't know why that amount of time is being given, uh, but all of which is to say, if you are a voter in the United States and you're trying to drop off your ballot, please make sure that you are doing so at an approved location. Uh, also, in the United States, the hearings uh, for potential Supreme Court Justice Amy Comey Barrett uh, have been visited uh, outside uh, by one of the leaders of the Proud Boys, um, Enrique Dario, who I've talked about previously. Uh, he was seen outside the United States Senate uh, with other right-wing people, some of whom were taking pictures with him and getting autographs and stuff because he is the leader of one of the largest fascist organizations in the country and we're witnessing uh, the rise of a relatively serious fascist movement. Additionally, over the weekend, uh, a Boogaloo supporter, as in, you know, one of these people who's trying to promote confrontation between protesters and the state, successfully did so. Um, he confronted a journalist and the journalist's bodyguard, who was a member of the Pinkertons, shot and killed him. Uh, for a very long while, for a couple of days, the right wing just insisted that this shooter was a left-wing operative, you know, they, they, they insisted that, that this person was Antifa or that they were otherwise uh, part of the left or the liberal political spectrum. Uh, the fact that he turned out to not just be a cop, but to be a private cop and not just a private cop, but an actual honest-to-God Pinkerton is just, it's, I mean, it's just astonishing. I did not have this on my 2020 bingo. Um, for those of you who don't remember uh, from U.S. history class, uh, the Pinkertons are a private intelligence slash police force slash detective agency that was founded in the 19th century and gained prominence throughout the late 19th and early 20th centuries as a union busting force uh, that various business people and other organizations used in order to harass, intimidate and kill uh, union organizers in the United States. All right. Uh, outside of the United States, uh, we have some developments in fascism in Europe. Uh, one of these is that in advance polls for the French presidential elections of 2022, Marine Le Pen is currently beating uh, sitting President Macron uh, for the first round of the vote. Now, uh, in France, they have a two-tiered voting system. There's a first round and then the top two vote getters in that round face off again in a second round uh, to ensure that the victor has received a majority of the votes. 
in, you know, in some capacity by the second round. Uh, Le Pen and Macron faced off against each other last presidential election in France in 2017. Um, although in that case, Le Pen was severely trailing Macron uh, in the first round. Now, this is really creepy and bad um, because Le Pen is the leader of a political party that is currently called uh, the National Rally, uh, but which was previously known uh, as the National Front, uh, which is never a good name to hear. That That's not a name you want to hear in the government of your country. Uh, and the National Front was previously run by Marine Le Pen's father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, uh, who also ran for president in France and was a prominent politician until he was actually kicked out of the of the National Front Party by his daughter because he is anti-Semitic and a Holocaust denier. Uh, now, the fact that uh, his daughter and indeed also his granddaughter have been trying to clean up the image of the party doesn't mean that it's actually not a, an extreme right-wing party still. It, it, it still very much is. Uh, and this is a very disturbing development. Hopefully, uh, she does not actually succeed in ousting the president. Um, but then again, Macron isn't that great either. He's a, just a pretty bad neoliberal president. So ugh, not, not a whole lot to look forward to. Uh, also uh, in Europe, I missed this, but several weeks ago, the Greek fascist party Golden Dawn uh, was declared a criminal organization. Uh, now, if you were paying attention to the rise of the right wing before 2016, you will remember that Golden Dawn is just a, they're just like an, an unabashedly fascist party. They're an, they're a pro Nazi party. They're a pro Hitler party. They're, they're just fascists. Um, and they entered the Greek parliament in 2012. Uh, and from 2015 to 2019, they were the third largest political party in Greece. It was just a, just an openly fascist party. Um, Recently, however, in early October, Golden Dawn was declared a criminal organization. This was after they lost all of their parliamentary representation back in 2019. They were declared a criminal organization partly for some financial crap, but primarily because they uh, had a member in 2013 murder an anti-fascist rapper in Greece, uh, and that trial has just wrapped up. And so the consequence of this is that Golden Dawn is now classified uh, in Greek law as a criminal organization as opposed to a political party. And good riddance. All right, as I said in the previous episode, this week we have a very special See You in Hell because today, October 16th, is the anniversary of the Nuremberg executions. Now, the Nuremberg executions shortly followed the Nuremberg trials, in which 24 Germans and Austrians, members of the Nazi party or its affiliates, were charged with crimes against humanity, with war crimes, with inciting war, with disturbing uh, the international peace. Ten of these people were hanged uh, on October 16th, uh, and among them were several extremely prominent Nazis, uh, including uh, several top Nazi diplomats, such as Ribbentrop, military leader, leaders such as Keitel, uh, and also prominent journalists, Stryker, and ideologues such as Rosenberg. Four of the most prominent Nazis escaped this execution series, um, all of them because they killed themselves uh, before they could be executed by the victorious allies. Goebbels and Hitler, of course, committed suicide in the Führerbunker um, before the Soviets were able to completely overrun Berlin. Bormann had killed himself previously, although his death wasn't confirmed until several years later, 
he was convicted uh, to death in absentia. And uh, of course, uh, Goering was supposed to be executed uh, at this series of executions. He was he was a participant in the trials. He was one of the accused, uh, but he committed suicide in prison uh, the day before. Uh, so that's uh, October 15th. Further trials were carried out at Nuremberg and at other locations in Germany and Austria and Poland for other different offenders. Uh, but these top people, uh, these 24, were accused of being not just participants in, but actual architects of, of, of being in charge of things like the Holocaust, of mass murder, of other ethnic groups, um, of political suppression, uh, and also of perpetrating war, of starting World War II. As I said previously, the trials were presided over by judges from the victorious allied countries. So that's the Soviet Union, the United States, the United Kingdom, and France. Uh, the head judge at the Nuremberg trial was a Soviet those who were not convicted to death by execution at the trials were instead imprisoned, uh, many of them released throughout the 1950s and 60s as they entered their uh, extreme old age and were allowed to die outside of prison, uh, although some of them were kept in prison until their deaths. Now, the Nuremberg trials have had a massive influence on international jurisprudence uh, since, uh, since they were conducted. Primarily, uh, they established as international law the idea that a judge of one country could judge a citizen of a second country for crimes committed in a third country if those crimes are sufficiently severe, disgusting, or horrible, specifically if they are crimes against humanity. Um, this was a pretty unprecedented thing uh, back in 1946 when the trials were conducted, um, and has led to a whole series of international juridical decisions and organizations, uh, ultimately culminating currently in the International Criminal Court, uh, which is a permanent international body that uh, has the authority to conduct these kinds of investigations and trials. Now, the trials themselves, the Nuremberg trials, have their critics, some of whom are just straight up Holocaust deniers, so, so who, who cares what they think. Other people are more typical liberal jurisprudence type people who would argue that the trials were show trials, you know, that, that, that the people's guilt was assumed before they took the stand. Uh, also, there are arguments about how you could have the authority to do something like this, but, you know, one of the problems was that the crimes that they had committed were themselves without precedent, and thereby one of the problems was that it was difficult to rely on precedent in order to establish the victorious allies ability to try these individuals uh, for these crimes uh, some of these criticisms are also legitimate criticisms against the international criminal court uh, the icc uh, is hyper focused in an extremely racist and just frankly imperialist way on crimes committed by uh, leaders and p citizens of third world countries, primarily we're talking Africa, um, whereas it seems to just ignore um, war crimes and crimes against humanity committed by uh, leaders and uh, citizens of first world countries, uh, such as the United States or the United Kingdom. That said, 
The Nuremberg trials resulted in the conviction and death of about a dozen of the leading Nazis who are responsible for some of the most horrible things that human beings have ever done to each other. Uh, and of course, remain inspiration to fascists everywhere today. Uh, so the fact that it resulted in their deaths, uh, I think is justice being served and something that we have to celebrate. So on that note, uh, to those who were killed in the Nuremberg executions, we'll see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism. I'm Craig Johnson. Uh, I'd like to thank Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro and outro music and our graphics, and I will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.